Hello, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to the Only Women Entrepreneurs uh, podcast, fondly known as O. I'm your host, Rosemary Cescolini, former high school English teacher turned successful businesswoman simply by pursuing an alternative career at Royal Door Limited, a family-owned and operated company since 1975. There, I personally designed and manufactured wood interior and exterior doors for over three decades, which are featured everywhere. So if you're looking at home renovation and construction magazines, you'll find Royal Door on home improvement shows such as uh, home and garden television. We have worked with top-notch designers such as Brian Gluckstein and TV personalities Brian Baumner and Mike Holmes. I had the pleasure of connecting with our next guest, Rachel Bourne at Born to Drill via a post she made on Instagram. I had congratulated her on becoming the vice president of the National Drilling Association's Ontario's Drilling Chapter. In her post, one particular comment stood out for me, and I thought Rachel would be a great guest to address a serious issue in the drilling industry. But before we get into that, we would like to formally welcome and say hello to Rachel Bourne. Hi, thank you so much for having me. (laughs) Thank you for being here. Uh, I think the best way to start the interview is to give the O community some information about yourself. Like, who is Rachel Bourne and what do you presently do for a living? Um, so I am right now, I'm the general manager of Elements GeoCorp. It's a drilling company located in Hamilton, Ontario. Uh, my background, though, is I'm a geotechnical and environmental driller. So I went to school uh, at Fleming College. I graduated with a diploma in drilling. And then ever since I've been, I started off as a laborer, like an assistant driller. And then I've worked my way up now to management. That's amazing. Congratulations on your moving up the uh, ladder. That's that's fantastic. Um, So going back to your employer, what services uh, do they provide for their clients? Because I think... um, your line of work is something unfamiliar to uh, our audience, and I think we need to have a little bit of background information to better understand the interview. Yeah, of course. Uh, so geotech and environmental drilling happens pretty much before any stage of construction. So whether it's a farm field that's being um, looking to be sold, um, an old gas station that they want to do environmental uh, monitoring on, Uh, say your backyard, you want to do an extension and you want to put up a three-story building in the backyard, uh, stuff like that. So the geotech aspect is we go in and we find competent soils and ground conditions to know how deep you have to build your foundation on, Mm -hmm. um, if there's any fill from a previous owner, um, and then just so that you know what your spec should be for when doing construction. Um, that same The same thing goes for the massive towers that are going up in Toronto. Any of those before it actually anybody does any sort of construction, we're out there and we take samples to know what the soil looks like. And uh, the engineers then are have an idea of how far they need to um, set their casings and everything else for for the towers so and the the buildings and then on the environmental aspect side so mm-hmm. we install monitoring wells so that we can test and we can review the water samples for long periods of time um, to know if it's contaminated uh, what the water levels how they fluctuate during the different seasons 
um, and then also just contamination. So a lot of areas have been contaminated over the years when there wasn't pro uh, proper practices with right. disposal and um, making sure that your tanks underground didn't leak, stuff like that, um, even removal of tanks. So uh, we go in and we kind of do lift different analysis of the, the ground and see, okay, this area is highly impacted. They may need to go back and do remediation. Um, or note this uh, this section is clean and they can sell it because remediation is very expensive <laughs> um, I'm sure as a lot of people know uh, so we kind of just go through the impacted zones we do monitoring wells and then there are some people that actually do um, they do the remediation part but our our company hasn't stepped into that yet but it is something that uh is needed so it's we call it kind of phase one and phase two of projects before anything else happens. Right. Right. Then that, and it sounds like really important work you do that uh, any construction projects before the, uh, the shovels hit the ground, you need to know what the ground is all about. And I've first our listeners that may not know, there's a lot of different types of soils out there. Um, yeah. Do you care to explain like the difference between say topsoil and Sandy loam and, and, you know, something that like shale or even clay, what are the types of soil that perhaps would prohibit um, excavation and, and and how would you go about in remedying that? So because we are first step, obviously, like we need to know what we're getting into, what kind of soil we're, we're dealing with. Um, and even when we're dealing with certain types of soil, like wet sands and we call them flowing wet sands because as soon as you hit it it's pressurized usually underneath a like a solid layer of um, like a mixture of dense clay with sand and uh, cobbles and, and boulders and gravel and that creates a layer that's compressed so as soon as you poke a hole in that the water just wants to escape and come up so we deal with our own issues with stabilization of wow. our own holes but then imagine building a building on 30 feet of just wet mm -hmm. Play-Doh, right? You don't want to do that. So um, well, you'd have a collapse of the structure, basically. Exactly. So we like our whole basis of what we're doing is just the finding. So trying to find competent bedrock or competent ground, depending mm -hmm. on what the engineer specs they're looking for, um, will depend on the height of the building and everything else. They kind of just give us that information. And then it's our job to go out and find that competent ground and tell them like, these are the types of soils that we're hitting. So mm -hmm. we do this by uh, sampling with just like a two inch spoon is what we call it. And we just hammer that into the ground okay. and it's per six inches. We'll kind of tell you, uh, we call them 50 blow counts. So how many times it's hit repetitively okay. um, into a two inch or two foot spoon. And that kind of gives some information. So usually we'll go from zero to bottom of the hole all the way down with spooning. Um, and then we also take core samples. Um, so if we do end up hitting bedrock, then we will drill with a uh, diamond bit. And that mm -hmm. will spins very quickly. We use water and then we're able to retrieve full Incredible. core samples. Yeah, it's very, very interesting. So cool. There's soil samples where you <laughs> wow. can pour. Yeah, it's it's incredible. And the technology is just growing. There's now Sonic where they use um, 
it's very, very small vibrations. Mm -hmm. It's able to actually push into the ground pretty quickly. And you can actually see water inside of your samples completely closed off. It's the technology nowadays is insane. So, um, but Ontario is just filled with different types of geology uh, Welland and Niagara is I'm aware of that. Yes. I'm glad you brought that up. And Hamilton is you're hitting, uh, like shale and limestone, depending on the area, sometimes really, really shallow. Sometimes if you're down by the lake, like 90 to a hundred feet, Toronto is the same Toronto. You're, you can be drilling for 200, 300 feet before hitting bedrock. Yeah. So it's, it's incredible. Depending on where you go, you have to be so knowledgeable and have so many different uh, types of tooling and abilities to be able to kind of go from one area to the next, because we're Mm -hmm. all over the place all the time. So you have to, you have to be able to work with it. (laughs) Well, that that was a fascinating um, description, you know, it was really interesting. (laughs) So now I just want to focus on the environmental uh, side of it. So gas stations are always uh, some are decommissioned because you know you're going to have high rises uh, being built over the site or some of them after so many years because environmental concerns they they shut them down and they they dig up the tanks and then uh, they have to service the whole site so uh what exactly do you look for when you're when you're dealing with something that's environmentally sensitive like a gas station so most of the time you're looking at, you're trying to delineate where the impact has created. So sometimes you're starting from where they know the tank started. And then with time, with water, again, that moves around a lot of soils and the the actual contamination within. So you could have a gas spill that was just very, very small, like a Mm -hmm. water bottle size Mm -hmm. that over time has just spread and leaked through other passages of water, through um, the the surface water that's gone down into through the topsoil, sands or whatever type of material you're you're dealing with. Mm -hmm. Uh, It really depends on the soil. So a lot of the time we poke three to four holes in that area. Usually when you're looking for environmental, you don't want to uh, combine water tables. So sometimes there's different areas where you have a water table around 30 feet, and then you have another water table, say 60, 70 feet. So if you cross those uh, water tables together, you can actually pass through the contaminations from one water table to the next. Oh, wow, that'd be And a lot of people rely on these water tables for drinking water wells still. Like that's a that's a totally different aspect of drilling that I don't I'm not involved with. But yeah, but that'd be a health hazard, right? Yeah, but I know a ton of guys that that are still involved in water well water well drilling. So yeah, that's another thing that you kind of have to think about when you're a Mm -hmm. driller, making sure that you're not impacting. So we clean our uh, tooling, we clean our samples um, with soap and water. Uh, we make sure that there is no co- cross contamination and then trying to get the best soil sample for the engineers so that they can mm-hmm. take that back to their labs and fully study it to understand what what sections are the the problematic areas. And we may have to go back and uh, re-drill to find um, different areas if they have found impacted zones. This information yeah. is completely <laughs> blowing my mind. It's just, just it's a, yeah. amazing, amazing what you just described. And and for you to have all that responsibility on your shoulders, and, and I'm thinking in my head, like, 
why would you pursue uh, a <laughs> career in, in, in drilling? Like what led you to go that route? Oh, to be honest, I didn't really know anything about it. <laughs> um, I oh. had always thought that I was going to pursue fashion and art. That was always yep. like love and my what I wanted to do since I was a child. Um, and then in high school, I just started realizing I had never, I didn't take any extra math credits or science credits or anything like that. I mm -hmm. only taken art based credits. And I got to a point where I'm like, where am I going with this? My parents were like, you should go to university and you could get a four year degree with your art. And I'm like, where am I going to move? Mulan, like to pursue fashion, I'm going to be sitting like sewing other people's designs for probably years to come. I might lose exactly. it as a hobby. So I just decided, you know what, I can keep that as a side hobby. I will still love it 20, 30 years down the road. And now I can start a career where I can actually make money right away. Mm -hmm. So I heard so about important. the Exactly. And I was like, I have to, I wanted to move out of my parents' house before <laughs> I was even 18. I was like, I need to get going. I yeah, need but you needed this, right? You need some exactly. money. <laughs> exactly. So my parents did set a fund away from me for, uh, paying off some of my university. But when I, when they told me the amount that they'd saved, I was like, that's not going to pay for four years of university. Oh. Like that's absolutely not. So, so what's the cost now? Because I've been out of university for quite a while. Well, what are you, what are you looking at these days? Man, when I was looking, I think it was like four to 5,000 a semester at least for four years. So, so roughly eight to 10,000 per year. Times yeah. four, so you yeah. could be you can be four. in the hole between thirty two and forty thousand dollars. Yeah, at least. And then again, art supplies and all this stuff that you probably have to bring. Of yourself. course, like just yeah. my mind was like blowing up. I was working at home hardware, and I was like, I cannot afford <laughs> to. You can't do it, right? University, absolutely not. And my parents were like, "You can stay home and live with us." And I'm like, "No, no, no! I'm I'm getting out. I'm getting out." Getting <laughs> you out. wanted your freedom. Yeah, I wanted to leave. So um, I heard about the drilling and blasting program uh, when I was in high school in grade 11. It was at my fashion class. So it was a mixed credit. It was mixed with college and university based kids. Mm -hmm. um, so they said there's this college fair that you're going to attend. And I'm like, oh, I'm not going to college. Like, it doesn't matter. I don't need to go. Right. And they brought me anyway. So I went in, I sat down and I was listening and I was kind of rolling my eyes. Like, I'm not going to college. I'm going to university. And then this woman came up from Fleming college and she was giving her spiel about what the college offers. And then she said, there's this really cool program called drilling and blasting. You can make up to $80,000 a year. Oh. They're 90% employment rate right after graduating. Wow. And it's a really cool program. You, sh you should check it out. We're the and only person that offers you're it. You're sold. That's me. That's and me, I'm right? Like, <laughs> what? And I told all the girls in my fashion class, I'm like, I'm going to go do that. And they're like, what are you talking about? You're not going to go do that. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to try it. So I went home. I told my parents that night. My parents were like, what? Like, <laughs> this is totally different than what you had told us before that you were planning on doing your entire oh, life, Rachel. Wow. Like, relax. Think about it. And it was just, it was stuck in my head. So I went, I took my parents to the, to Fleming and the Lindsay campus, um, Frost campus. And I just loved it. It was very small. Like my parents had taken me mm -hmm. to universities just to make sure that I was making the right decision. And, and it was a credible it. program. Probably they wanted yes, to make it's sure, the right? only, it's the only program really offered in, I never heard of it. 
everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> How many they, students did they take? Do you know in the program? Uh, when I was there, I think there was about 120 students. The blasting program was about 50 students. So it's a certificate program. Um, it's only one year. And then they offered a continuation into mm-hmm. the uh, summer. And I got to skip first semester because I took the blasting. I got to go into the drilling. So I took second semester in summer. And then I graduated uh, the next year mm-hmm. uh, in in the, I guess, the spring semester. So mm-hmm. I did five semesters of school in two years. And I graduated with a certificate and diploma. Fantastic. With no debt. Well, no debt and a, no and a job probably uh, waiting for you and, and you were ready to go. Make money. I, had a, I had three job offers when I left. Fantastic. Three different jobs that I could have gone to. And those were just the ones that I applied to that I was interested in. Mm-hmm. There were more than 15 to 20 employers at the job fair for drilling companies. That's wonderful to see you're yeah. in such high demand. And then you had, you know, a little bit of a selection. You didn't have just one offer. Exactly. I got to choose where I wanted to go, which Mm. was really nice. Um, And it was actually really hard because there was a lot of really great companies that offered different things. It was just about where I wanted to be um, location wise, because you can go and travel the world with drilling if you want to. Like there's companies that come from the States, from Australia, from all Exactly. And I'm glad you brought that up because uh, having a skilled trade, it's an exportable uh, resource. So yes. if, if I don't want to live in North America and I want to go to Europe or if I want to go to South America, yep. the skills appear. It's all knowledge, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You, yeah. can pl- yeah. you can pick where you want to live and how you want to live your life. Yep. So that's great. You can work as many hours as you want or yep. as little as you want. Yeah. So much freedom. That that's that's incredible. Um, I want to circle back to um your definition. You said that you got a certificate in blasting. Sure. Again. We're, we're dealing with terms that are probably uh, new for our uh, community. Would you yeah. mind explaining what blasting is? So I did blasting, which is where you learn how to load um, holes that are usually done in quarries um, for the collection of uh, gravel, mm-hmm. um, like big pieces of rock for maybe your garden, um, different things like that, materials that are used to for sand and concrete and all these different things. So uh, usually out in quarries and mines, uh, they actually have, they also have blast hole drillers. So there are drills out there that just drill straight into the rock, mm-hmm. a certain size hole. And then we learned how to fill those holes with explosives and <laughs> different I thought stories. that. Yeah. Was so awesome. <laughs> and yeah, it was incredible. And learning to, it's, it's really interesting because the blast, blasting is not just stick dynamite in the hole and run. It's, there's different patterns to get different ways that the rock can be blasted so that you get big chunks or like little granular sizes. And these people and these men, mostly men, I don't, I didn't really meet any women, but mostly men have been doing these for years and they've created their own patterns. And there's like, they have their own kind of science behind it. That is just, it needs to be taught through and passed down from generation to generation. It's not really something that you can kind of just get yourself into and figure it out. Um, Mm -hmm. One other really interesting thing that I always thought about was, there's no specific safe distance to stand back from a blast hole. 
So if you live near a quarry, they always have the alarms that sound so that people in the area know what's happening before they set off a blast. Um, And then when we were out there as students, we were like, how far do we stand back? And they just say, as far as you can. Like, that was pretty much it. So (laughs) that was one interesting thing. But yeah, we got to to the quarries and we got to see the demonstrations and work with other people that were actually in the industry um, and be taught by them and our teacher who had previous experience as well. So it was very hands-on, very interesting. Um, It's so cool. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. you know, it's, it's totally new. Like you, when going through your educational experience, think back at high school, was there any time in your years there that someone came in and talked to you about these opportunities? Like, I'm pretty sure you would have had half the class raise their hands and say, Hey, that's maybe a career that I find fascinating as a, you're outdoors. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, and to be honest, not really, because I grew up in a very like white collar neighborhood and area. Mm -hmm. Um, I grew up in like Brooklyn, Ontario. Uh, My parents are both my mom's a teacher, actually. And uh, my father (laughs) (laughs) and my father works. He's a businessman. He works for IBM. So they both went to university. That was never really something. And I don't have any other people in my family that I know of that are in any sort of trade. So I didn't really have that person to look up to, which I know a lot of people, even listening from your podcast, you've had people that, oh, I saw my dad do this, or I saw my grandfather Mm -hmm, do this. mm -hmm. You know, somebody in your family that you've you've seen do that. I just, the only thing that I had was home hardware, where I saw all the men (laughs) coming in (laughs) all the time. (laughs) One of my major customers, and I'm thankful that they employed you, right? So you come from opposite worlds, like, cause your, your parents were white collar workers, right? And naturally they want to push you towards that university uh, education. Whereas um, my parents uh, came to Canada in in the late fifties and they didn't speak English and they only had an elementary school education. So the only thing they could do is apply themselves to some sort of blue collar job, which was unskilled until they learned the language and they were able to um, learn and, and, and have opportunities. And as they were able to uh, progress, they themselves started to go up on the social ladder. And, and that's the thing they told me every day when they came home from work, how hard their job was, how hard it was, you know, not being able to communicate. And, and hence, they said, you know what, you need to go to university because the quote unquote, the abuse that we are enduring we don't want you to endure. So go get yourself educated and make sure that you have a nice paying jobs a job. And that way you don't have to worry. But mind right. you, because they were doing these jobs that nobody else wanted to do, they were well compensated. Yeah. And we had a secure life. And, and that allowed me to, to carry on the next um, uh, generation. They, they provided the building blocks. So it's so important to, to let women know that skilled trades have incredible opportunities. Like you mentioned, you, you graduate, you have a job waiting. Um, we, we didn't talk about in terms of pay. So I'm assuming that you'd have financial security. What are like the pay ranges roughly from someone starting out, someone in the middle of the career and someone maybe like yourself that that's a general manager? Mm-hmm. So it really depends on, I guess, which industry you go into and where you're located. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'll just speak for Ontario. Um, 
Sure. And with my, like, I guess even GTA, because even if you go past GTA, it then it's different depending on where you go. Right. Um, so with geotech environmental, um, you usually start around 40 to 50,000 a year, maybe mm-hmm. more, maybe a little bit less. Um, but that can sometimes be without any knowledge. So you don't need to go to school to have any, any ability to get into this trade. It's not technically considered a skilled trade, um, which is surprising. And I'm trying to, that is because that's a tremendous uh, amount of responsibility. So if I I'm sitting in a classroom and I'm in grade 12, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I, I, I reach out to a company like yours and say, Hey, can you hire me? I have no experience. So you're saying that's the pay range that I, I might be getting. Yeah. Like I would say like most companies I know with no experience are between, I, I can't remember. I know we do everything hourly, but um, for our company specifically, we're hiring you between 23, $24 an okay. hour that's to fair. $28 an hour. Depending. As opposed to minimum wage. Exactly. Right? Right. Yeah. You're, you're already ahead of the, the curve. Exactly. Exactly. And then if you do have your schooling, but you're starting out mm-hmm. um, or you have your DZ or which is like your, your driving, your extra driving for the yep. bigger trucks or your AZ, um, we then hire um, at a rate of, and I feel like this is most companies between 28 to uh, about 32, 33. And then after that, pretty much sky's the limit. Like wow. if you wow. go to a specific company and you show that you have all these credentials and you have good, um, you have the knowledge of drilling and your experience, like you will be paid for it. So, um, and again, like we're always busy. And so if you're not out drilling, you're in the shop cleaning, you're fixing equipment because a lot of our guys, like we don't, we don't have an in-house mechanic. We have somebody that does a lot of the mechanic work, mm-hmm. but everybody kind of chips in and they help and they fix their own machines. They learn how to do that. Like I had to fix my own machine when I was out on site with minimum tools, like, and, and no mm-hmm. experience. I was just, so, so no one taught you how to service your own machines. You basically, it, it would break down or, or needed some sort of service. And, and it was kind of like, experimentation you have to figure it out yeah you got to figure it out you're stuck on site you have an engineer staring at you waiting for you to to finish up they don't want to stay there till seven o'clock at night i don't want to be there till seven o'clock oh, at night wow. but because our jobs are sometimes daily daily jobs in mm-hmm. different like sites mm-hmm. if your job goes into the next day you could screw up the entire schedule for the week or even the month so making sure that you're done your job for that day so that you're ready for the next job the next day, like you have to be ready for that. So there was a lot of times that I was in the middle of a farmer's field and my equipment got uh, like a, one of my fuses went right. And I had to jump the fuse and just keep going. And mm-hmm. there's been times that I get stuff stuck in the ground and I have to figure out how I'm pulling this out without breaking anything or hurting myself. And, yeah, it can be it can be really tough. Whereas a lot of other people, it's like, oh, you just call someone, you break down, that's fine. I'm only working forty hours this week. It's like a lot of the times I was working twelve hour days, uh, five days a week. So I I pushed myself a lot to try mm-hmm. to learn as much as I could and push myself up to uh, a position where I would be secure. And that way, they saw that and they appreciated that because they're like, 
she'll put in the time, she'll put in the work. She doesn't care about staying late. Like she'll be there to do that job. And that's kind of how the drilling industry is right now mm-hmm. for the geotech environmental. They expect you to work those long hours and to make it work um, so that the rest of the schedule will kind of make sense. But Well, the company has obligations to their clients, right? And they have to keep exactly. the schedule going. So that's quite understandable. That's a day-to-day business. Now, uh, if, I don't know, someone that wants to change career, they maybe wait in their 30s, they're not liking the career that they're in, and mm-hmm. they want to go to college and perhaps get the certificates that you uh, received. Is Fleming College the only one that's uh, available in Ontario, or are there other ones like George Brown College or Humber College? Do you know? Uh, no, Fleming College is the only only the only location. one. Yeah, um, in the states they do offer um, training on site mm-hmm. uh, where they will give you an actual drilling license, but you have okay. to put in the hours. Um, here in Ontario, you just get um, a well a well license to be able to install monitoring wells. Okay, uh, and then yeah. So, so if the program is, is, is limited in spaces and I don't get in this year and I decide to go work somewhere, get some experience, and then I still don't get in because there's a, a waiting list. If I were to get my credentials somewhere else outside of maybe Canada or outside of the province, and then I wanted to come back, would they uh, allow me to you know, still work and, and receive the pay that I am entitled to because I went to get all of my certifications. It depends on the company. Some companies don't care if you mm. have any education or not. Okay, um, that's good to know. Some companies, like they'll, some companies think that you come from another drilling company and mm. you have zero knowledge because there's not a specific standard yeah. set. Whereas like other trades have that they have like the journeyman, the master sure. electrician, everything like it goes up in levels mm-hmm. where we just have our drillers assistants, our drillers and trainings, um, and then our drillers. And at that point, people, the management kind of decides, okay, you're ready to go off and start drilling, or you're ready to move up to a driller and training. Um, you should go on this job or you should go on this job to learn a little bit more about it because there's so many different types of drilling that we specifically do just as geotech environmental that um, it can take years and years to have the knowledge to even start operating a machine because some companies don't let you operate a machine until you've been working there for two to three years whereas I started operating a machine at the age of 21 and I was only in the trade for uh, That's young. a year and a half. Yeah. <laughs> so oh, yeah, it's so young. It, and you know it, what? I, I can understand that from um an employer's perspective. Like when you have machines that cost millions of dollars and you have someone that has absolutely no experience, and all of a sudden they don't know how to program it or run it properly, and you have a machine breakdown. Yeah, yeah. Or That's disastrous. Or Injuries. Even more serious Crazy. injuries yeah. because then, okay, um, let's deal with the injuries. Then you get the ministry of labor come in, you're shut down Yeah, yeah. and you're investigated and, and it's, it's just a horrible situation to be in. And, and also with machines breaking down, we have such a shortage of um, technicians to come in to service the machines. You might have to wait months to get an appointment. And months to get that part once they figure that out. So a machine could be down like six months to a year. 
Yeah, yeah. And uh, we deal with that every day. Like we have things breaking yeah. down. There's no suppliers really in Canada at all. So everything is coming wow. from the state. And That's we don't, have, nobody in Ontario knows how to fix a machine. Yeah. Like a drill. And, and, and I concur. We, we have the same issue too. Um, so, when, when our machines uh, break down, uh, we have to get technicians that uh, fly in from Europe. Wow. Wow. They, they're, they're not here. And, and that, and that's why we're doing this podcast. It's so critical because okay. our, our society is not going to be able to function. Things are going to break down on a regular basis because a, they're not being maintained. Yeah. B, we're not getting uh, new things built. Um, right. Sure. We can get things built um, in other countries, but once they arrive here, wear and tear, they have to be serviced and, yeah. and, and we're not going to be able to do that much longer. I, it's, it's pretty scary right now. And even materials are getting, um, they're being less, they're Scarcity. less quality for more ah. expense. So right. that's another thing we find. Things are just constantly breaking mm -hmm. down because mm -hmm. they're using cheaper materials so that yep. they don't have to put that expense in. And it's, it affects us. They don't care. We know that they know that we have to buy it off of them in order to get our machines up exactly. and running, but it's, yeah. uh, that's insane. Yeah, we usually go. Um, we go to Europe once a year, and we we go visit the 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 tooling uh, companies, and we bring the specs to these uh, factories, and we have them made there to our specifications. Mind oh. you, it takes time. Mm -hmm. It could take like a year to eighteen months, but mm -hmm. the, once you've developed um, the the whole system, because the first the first time you go, they ha they have to do all the tooling for it. But once the tooling's set up, you you know that this part only has a certain amount of lifespan. You can um, order extra parts, and that's oh, okay. what we do. So we'll we'll have like a whole array of parts, and you know, machine goes down. Okay, fine. We get someone in the shop. They take apart the machine. They they see what part needs to be replaced and they can do it on the spot. So we only get like an hour or two hour downtime. So right. that that's one thing that um, has helped us with, with this uh, critical part that we are experiencing all through the industries at the moment. Yeah, of course. Well, there's some, there's some uh, manufacturers that have, because our, our rigs are kind of just a bunch of things put together from yeah. different companies all over. And something that the industry in general is dealing with right now is the fact that they have remote controls, which is great so mm -hmm. that we're not sitting on the machines and moving them around if there's a risk of tipping. Um, so we use a remote control. They don't have any more parts for those controls. Right. They're sold out. So we can't even purchase a new control. We have wow. no way to buy parts for that control. So we're just, we're just stuck. We're left with it. Yeah. So we have a machine that doesn't move because we don't have the parts to fix it. So we've actually had to create our own uh, remote systems and having to try to just make it work with all of our experience kind of combined to just deal with it for now. Unbelievable. <laughs> That's it, really unbelievable. It's crazy. Yeah. So. Yeah, and it sounds like you don't have a typical workday. That was my next question. So what's a typical workday for Rachel? Like pick any day of the week. How does it start all the way through? What are your duties? All right. So I guess right now as general manager, it was a little bit easier when I was out drilling because I would go to the shop 6 a.m., load up the truck, drive to site, work on site all day, usually eight to nine hours. 
drive back to the shop, mm-hmm. unload, go home. Now, as the general manager, I'm in the shop, usually between, I've started coming in a little bit later, but I'm usually One in of the, the perks, shop. right? <laughs> 6 to 6.30 in the morning, still. Um, I make mm. sure all the guys know what they're doing, get them out the door. Thankfully, I have help with another manager that's there. Um, but yeah, we uh, we get everybody out the door. We make sure that they're on time. I make sure that they know where they're going, make mm-hmm. sure they have all their stuff. Like I'm kind of in charge of that, making sure that they, they know okay. what's happening. Um, because again, people get switched around. I'm dealing with people calling in sick, people being late, all that different all those different things that you deal with uh, day-to-day administrative uh, issues. Yeah. Yeah, And then, so once they're all out, um, that kind of gives me some time. So sometimes I focus on the social media of the company. Sometimes I focus on any previous emails from the night before I print off all the billing from the guys because they have to do Mm -hmm. day-to-day billing um, to give me information so that when I invoice the clients, I know exactly my breakdown. Um, So sometimes that's, clipping multiple days together and then leaving it to the side so that I can process it once the job's complete. Sometimes it's putting it right on the desk so that I can complete it and invoice it that day. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I kind of go through that. If there's any estimates from the night before, I do those. Um, and then clients start calling around 8 to 8.30 in the morning. So then it's usually 6, 6.30 to 7.30. I have about 7.30 to 8 o'clock to kind of figure right. myself out. And then I'm making sure that the okay. guys are right on site on time. Mm-hmm. They know where they're, off, they're they're supposed to be. They get set up. And then around 9 o'clock is when I start dealing with people calling like, hey, I forgot this. Or, hey, this isn't working. What should I do? Uh, hey, like We're running three to four crews right now. So all those calls come into me. Um, and then so how many people do you manage? There's 10. There's 10. And are they all male? All male. Wow. So yeah. how do they, um, how do they interact with a, a female, uh, supervisor or, or, or boss? How's that <laughs> well, going for you? <laughs> thankfully I, I'm one of the first people that worked there. So the other manager, um, mm. me and him actually came from a different company and we started at this company kind of together again. Okay. Um, so he was managing and he was actually a manager that had pushed me up to drilling um, Mm -hmm. at our previous company. So that's why he'd always had my back. He was like kind of like an older brother to me. Um, He pushed me forward in a way that didn't give me any problems um, and he would always offer solutions. So that was really nice. Um, So then when we moved here, uh, I started off as drilling and then I went to driller, like the drilling trainer. And then I went to health and safety and now I'm managing. So we pretty much like work side by side, but when we got really busy, he's been going out drilling. So, um, a lot of those times I kind of lose him as that support system. And I've kind of had to just figure it all out by myself, but because I've hired all of these men that work for us now, They've always just kind of seen me as a boss. So I started at this company when I was 23. I'm 26 now. So, so I, <laughs> that's, that's incredible. I love that. So the guys, sometimes when they're newer, they're like, she's like, oh, I have to deal with her because <laughs> I'm pretty straightforward. And I'll tell them, like, I don't want to deal with this. Move on. Like, and I, I don't. So you set like, them straight. Like, yeah, we're, we're here to do a job. 
Exactly. Sometimes I feel like I'm their therapist, you know, if they're having women problems, whatever on the side, I'll, I'll <laughs> talk about it with them. Cause I want to make sure that they're you have a good relationship too, right? Yes. Of course. And it's sense. really, I think it's really hard trying to, especially with guys that are older than me, because most of them are older, except for maybe three of them. So all of the guys, like, they've been managed by lots of different people in the past, but not usually females. So I want to make sure I have a good relationship with them, but I also want to make sure that I'm not being taken advantage of. Um, but none of them have shown that. I I feel like I'm six foot one, you know, I stand my ground. I'm, <laughs> I'm a pretty good, You're pretty very, big girl. Yeah. <laughs> but no, they know that I can do the job. Mm. So I think that's really what surpasses me compared to maybe being the boss's daughter or somebody else, you know, that I just kind of worked Great my point you brought up. And some people are like, oh, like she just got given this position. No, I, I worked my butt off for this position. So, um, well, because you know what, you have the experience, right. And you have the knowledge and, and you're, you're proven. Mm -hmm. So there's really no reason why you should get any backlash from uh, your, your male employees, right. You're yeah. It, it's it's something that I think a lot of women um, are afraid to enter male-dominated industries like construction and manufacturing because, you know, there might have been some past experiences where they did hire women in the past and perhaps they weren't up to par with uh, the position and, and they kind of like just fell through and, and then they kind of like had a general opinion of all women which is not necessarily true. Each person, you know, whether it's male or female, you got to judge them on their own merit. You can't assume that, you know, Rachel's on the job, that Rachel's incompetent, that Rachel's not able to do what she needs to do to help the company keep their clients and, and get new ones, right? Yeah, no, I've been in that position too, where I was, even when I was a, an assistant, people were saying, one of the guys said to me, I've hired five women and I've fired four of them. What makes you different? I'm like, I'm not answering this question. Oh, <laughs> thank you very much. You told them right off. <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much. See you later. I don't care what you've dealt with. I'm not that same person. And that's fine. And again, like I know people that work for that company and good for them. But but I'm glad I, you brought that up because that yeah. was that was a situation that any woman is going to face and you very confident in your skills where it would say, listen, there's lots of opportunities out there. I don't need this job. Plus I don't want to work for someone that's like you and you, exactly. got up and you left. Right. So exactly. that's good that you brought that up because it, it, in, in boldens women to, to have that, that courage to say, you know what? I know I'm good. And mm -hmm. if this is not the fit for me, I'm going to go somewhere else. Yeah. And it's, and it's out Great. there because again, this industry is still so like, and I know more and more people are getting to HVAC plumbing, electrical, and that's great. And carpentry and bricklaying, mm -hmm. and like there's women promoting that. I only know maybe five females in drilling right now across Canada. Like I do not know of that many and whether or not they're running a rig or just an assistant at the time, mm -hmm. I'm not sure, but I know that there is a very, there's a short, small amount of women actually doing this. So when I've gone out and I've gone to interviews and different um, 
even just like meetings with other other drilling companies people are kind of like hmm, I don't know if uh, she she actually knows what she's talking about and I can just sense that through conversation and yeah and issues that I have with these people where I'm trying to have a discussion with them and they're kind of just like whatever but that has to do with my age the fact that I'm a female and the fact that they don't really know who I am which is fine and they'll figure it out the drilling industry is very very small so most company owners now know who I am, um, mm. either for good things or bad things. I'm assuming helping good things. Um, I try to uh, encourage like a community of of drillers to come together. That's why I've start I started my Instagram page was just to try to encourage. First, it was females to join, but now it's just anybody in general. Anybody. I want to encourage men and women to join because our industry is just going to collapse. Um, and that would be that would be horrific. Yeah, yeah. I can't so imagine. I and and that's the thing. There's different things. Whereas, like, you see the construction, they're uh, providing bathrooms for women on site. We don't even have bathrooms on site. I go in a bush. Like that's that's my bathroom on site. The guys have a bucket in the truck. That's where they go on site. Like that's our industry. It's very different from what they're promoting um with actual like skilled trades that mm-hmm. each other plumbing mm-hmm. and all that which um and even like factory work I know it's gotten a lot better with having women's bathrooms and not just a male only bathroom like I know that I've been in some some different scenarios where I have had to go and drill inside mm-hmm. and they're like here's the bathroom key for you and I'm like this is so awesome I don't have to drive to a gas station today so those That's those opportunities tough. Yeah, they need to they need to start coming forward, but it's difficult with our industry because we're out there day to day. We're in different spots all the time. So it's it's just trying to figure out how we can encourage more women to want to mm-hmm. join, but they have to understand that they're going to deal with stuff like that. And most of the time it's you and one other person out on site. So like I was harassed by what one specific man who I had to just keep going out with. And it was just me and him on site all the time. So those are issues that also need to be resolved. And hopefully by talking about it as a community, Mm -hmm. we'll try to figure out how to stop that from happening. So you already started the discussion that I I wanted to uh, start (laughs) uh, talking to you about, like circling back to our introduction of how we met on Instagram there was one specific comment that you made that really caught my attention because it aligns so closely with uh, O's mission statements. Mm-hmm. And that is addressing, like we said, the severe skilled labor shortages in male-dominated industries. Yeah. The comment that um, you said was, since graduation from the drilling program at Fleming, I have worked with tons of people with different backgrounds and experience. More of my fellow graduates have now left the industry only six years later. And so why is this happening and what can we do to attract and retain women? And maybe in this case, also men in the drilling industry. So it doesn't completely collapse because if you guys are not there, then you know what? Construction is not happening. And you know, we have a housing shortage, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, and that's the thing, like we're pre-construction. We're before any new roads are being critical old roads like bridges everything so So i i I can go on with a list of of, of infrastructure right like if you're looking at the uh the other day they uh finally took out the um the boring machine that got stuck uh, in toronto it it was it was 
in the ground for a year and a half yeah. because it got uh, ensnarled in some um, uh, metal and, and cables from uh, a condo that had been built previously. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> time <I>, probably. <laughs> but but the work couldn't go on because that uh, machinery had broken down and they weren't able to get it. And then there, they, they had other technical issues. But yeah. I, I think it's not only technical issues. It's like you said earlier, is we don't have the technicians. Yeah, no, exactly. Right. Okay, so I'm going to let you comment on, and yeah, so wh- why oh. did you, the graduates leave? Uh, so when I graduated, like I started, there was about 120 guys in the program. There's four women, three women graduated. And I, I think 50 finished the course. Okay. So that's just their own situations. They're not enjoying it. They couldn't understand the math was pretty difficult. Um, it's hard to kind of picture drilling a hole on paper. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So we have the, the outside drills that they actually let us like drill on but it it takes a kind of a bit of time for you to understand what's happening down a hole when you can't see it so um not a lot of people stayed but then most of them i think found jobs after um and just from talking with some of my buddies and everything like that there's um a lot went into construction drilling which is that's actually unionized but you're a laborer you go into local 183, I think it is, mm-hmm. you're a laborer, and then you're kind of just tossed around. So mm-hmm. if they don't have work for you, mm-hmm. you're sitting at home. So mm-hmm. then they're jumping from company to company. And then because you're a laborer, they don't just keep you on the drilling side. They'll okay. send you to do whatever they need done on that job site. So a lot of the guys kind of just found probably easier chiller jobs to just go and do instead of being um, an assistant for construction and then geotech and environmental drilling. Um, So my field, it's kind of difficult because again, like I always say, we're kind of living in the eighties. It's very push, 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 go, 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 uh, get the job done. We don't care Mm -hmm. how long you stay out, just finish it off. There's not a lot of support. There's not a lot of understanding. A lot of the times it's older men saying, I did this for 20 years. You can do it too. Not my problem. Um, And it just pushes the younger guys out. They're like, I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to deal with hours with the manipulation, the, the, and there was a lack of pay at the time too. Like the Mm -hmm. people weren't getting paid very well. You had to suck up to the companies in order to make your way up. Like guys just didn't want to do that. They didn't want to deal with that. So a lot of people uh, left also with geotech and also um, the mining industry. So the people that do the collections of the samples for Mm -hmm. gold and other minerals, mineral exploration, um, they're traveling for weeks and weeks at a time, sometimes months at a time. So I had buddies that were up in Nunavut and they were helicoptered out um, and left there for a couple days um, because the helicopter couldn't get back in um, oh, because oh, wow. snow and everything else. So scary. these guys, and they're on camps. So they're on camps, dry camps sometimes. Um, so they're dealing with all of this where they're out all the time away from home they come back for a week or two and then they're back out there and there's still a huge amount of um, substance abuse 
um, and other things where as a lot of those people are going out there to make a ton of money, which is the mm-hmm. same with oil and gas, a lot of them get hooked up in other things. So because, um, Oh, there's isolation, to, right? And isolation and they have to, they have to pass a piss test a lot of the times. So they're just taking the the drugs that will stay in your system for the least amount of time, mm. which are usually the more intense uh, substances. So that good. created a huge, a huge um, issue with the industry as well, because those guys are like, I want to go make money and I want to go travel and I'll go and do this. And they do it for a small amount of time. They're like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, this is not what I expected. Um, and then That's they hard. It's back. a hard life. Yeah. And then they come back and they're like, I'll just try something else. And it'll be the same everywhere I go because the industry doesn't have those stepping stones, I guess. Mm-hmm. They just assume that if I go from one company to another, it's going to be the same. So I think like the NDA, the National Drilling Association, I'm really hoping that that can get a lot of the employers have been coming together and discussing, discussing like what's happening. Um, and they're they're even seeing it that like most of these companies have been running for 20 plus years and they're like, okay, we need to do something about this because it's not changing. Everybody's very secretive. Nobody wants to talk. Nobody wants to have discussions about what's happening. Mm-hmm. So um, I think just creating like that community and then obviously pr- providing that community to drillers as well, showing like, mm-hmm. these are the people that you can talk to if you have an issue. Okay. Um these are the situations that if you need help or if you need guidance, like you can talk to this person or if you have mental health issues, like these are the people that you should reach out to because when you're working with all men, most of these guys have a lot of like mental health issues that are just going unsolved and undiscussed. Like they don't want to bring it up. They don't want to talk about it. And it's, yeah. that's why I feel like I'm a therapist sometimes. Cause I want to talk to these guys and make sure like, Hey, how are you doing? Are you okay? How's everything mm-hmm. at home? Like, do you need anything like, like you're not eating? You haven't, I haven't seen you drink any water today. Like stuff like that. I want to make sure. Yeah, like, These are serious you're concerns. You're right. They need to be addressed because if they're not addressed, like you said, you might have people that come in because they're attracted by, by the money. But if they're going through some, you know, um, mental stress, they're mm-hmm. not going to be able to cope. And I think this is perhaps a suggestion is being an entrepreneur myself and going through a lot of phases, um, you got to have that mental toughness because if you don't, then, you know, being an entrepreneur, you're just going to quit. And, you know, one, one of the most, the hardest times that we experienced was, was during the pandemic. And when you you rely on a staff to produce product and then all of a sudden they opt to stay home because government checks were, uh, coming right and so you still had the responsibility we were um, fortunate to stay open and we were extremely busy because we had no um outside competition which which was fantastic so yeah yeah perfect (laughs) it it was all hands on deck and we were working very long hours and and it exhausted us for for two straight years um so i can really understand that but what kept us going was mental toughness and that's one thing that I, I am actually um, gearing up to do is provide um, mindset courses 
to assist mm. people in these situations where, you know, they, they might be going through, like you said, some personal um, issues at home, or it could right. even be professional and they yeah, don't really I have would. anybody to talk to. And then you set someone up with, with a coach and, and they have that one-to-one time. Like you don't have to go specifically to a person's office. They just have a conversation on the computer and, yeah. and, and we discuss and, and we do um, things together so that we work out what is really ailing you and that gets you to the point where when you hit a brick wall, you're not going to you fall for sure, but you're able to get back up and then say, hey, you know what? It's just another little obstacle. There's a solution. I'll get through it. So I think that's one thing that perhaps, uh, you know, you can consider being the, the VP, bringing someone like myself on board to, yeah, to yeah. create some strategies so yeah. that you guys have some tools, A, to develop tools that you can use um, each company. But then if there's something out there that some of your workers might need more than like bringing me on, then perhaps having some like group sessions to help them because it, it sounds like it's, it's going to, I think it's going to get worse because as you have an aging population, yeah, those are the, those are the tough birds, okay. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking of my dad yeah. and my father-in-law. They, oh my god, they were tough as nails. Like I don't even have a tenth of their their strength and toughness. Yeah. But once they're gone and we have a softer generation, they're they're not going to last without these tools. It's so important. Yeah, and I think a lot of the guys, if you were to bring forward this idea right now, they'd be like, I don't need that. But it's like you put them in a situation in a room mm-hmm. where it's like, I don't care whether you want this or not. Here you go. And you, well, everybody's just, like that, right. Put it to their face. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then at that point, I think it's, I think it would be very helpful and people would take something, sure. even if it's one or two things, they take mm-hmm. something back with them. And I think just having that discussion is important because yeah. no, no, that would be great. Like they like, yeah. reach out to me and let me know. And I'd be more than happy to, to help out and hopefully um, we can come up with a solution and that's why we're here, right? right. We're having this discussion because if, if I didn't have you on the show today, I would not have known this, but yet I, I understand how important your industry is. And, yeah, and, exactly. and it actually, it's frightening to know that it is at such a, a very fragile position and, and, and it's something that we need to address like today. Yeah. And, and I hope to do that with more trainings and, um, and bringing people together just to have conversations to discuss it further because yeah at some point like you said it's just it's not going to be here anymore and then the I don't know what the next steps are I don't even know if they're thinking that far ahead so mm-hmm. but hopefully we can change something <laughs> I, I hope so I hope so I, I would look forward um, to a collaboration so what what advice would you give to to women who are listening who are hesitant to step into these male dominated industries due to this uh, existing gender cat gap? Like why um, should they take the plunge? I think just because no matter what, like you can, you can always do it. There's, there's nothing really holding you back. Um, whether it's you're afraid of somebody's going to treat you disrespectfully, it still happens in the corporate world. Mm-hmm. Whether it's happening out on site or if it's in an office space, it's still happening. Women are still dealing with those gender issues every single day. And even people that are now non-binary or trans or 
however they they uh, identify they're going to be dealing with with issues no matter where they go so um i feel like a lot of places with construction there's actually more freedom and you have that ability to kind of express yourself like i can go to work wearing makeup or i can go to work just out of bed and haven't showered for three days like i can look however i want and nobody's really judging me for my appearance what i'm wearing I come to work, I do my professional mm-hmm. items that I need to do, I do my tasks, I make the client happy, and that's my job. I'm not there to impress anybody, I'm not there to suck up to anybody, I'm there to do a job, a task, I want to do it well, and then I get to go home. And like yeah. that's what I really enjoy about it. So I think women thinking about, oh, I don't know if I could do that, or I might not be strong enough to do that, like either way like the the industries are all changing they're trying to adapt they're trying to allow for women to kind of step into these positions mm-hmm. and then i find with just being a woman i've been able to work my way up a lot faster because i have the i don't want to say maturity but i have the different aspects from my life that i've seen um through being the student president council like uh from doing different um volunteer work right I've been able to kind of take all these things I want to learn from other people around me so I've been able to move myself up it's not always about I'm going to be a bricklayer for the rest of my life like you could be a bricklayer somewhere and then you could start your own company right you build the clients absolutely you you need to do you get in touch with the suppliers like there's so many more opportunities than people think of like oh I'm just going to be a plumber and that's it like no, you have to think way bigger than that. And that's why I, I like the fact that you're an entrepreneur. You've yeah. started this podcast for women in trades because it's not just about go work for someone else and yeah, be under their, their spectrum or their bubble. Like go out and make something for yourself and change the industry. Um, and I feel like as more women do that, and even as more men do that with the same idea ideas as mm-hmm. women, um, with For the sure. respect and bringing that up and and um, ensuring that everybody feels comfortable on site, like you'll have those opportunities. So that's great. Well, well said. So, Rachel, I want to thank you for taking the time to come on the show. We had a really powerful discussion today. I'm a very big fan of supporting women in all stages of life looking to pursue a career in male dominated industries. So can you tell our old community where they can find you if they have any questions pertaining to geotechnical and environmental drilling? Sure. So you can contact me on my born to drill uh, on Instagram. <laughs> I'm, also cool. on, I'm also on TikTok. Um, and uh, I don't use TikTok as much, but I'm more of an Instagram person. Um, but I also uh, use LinkedIn a lot. Um, so it's just Rachel Bourne. Um, and then reaching out to Fleming College, the the staff there, specifically the teachers that I um, had who are still the teachers and professors, mm-hmm. there, they're a great resource to just reach out to if you're interested. Sure. Um, and Hook us up. That work at Fleming College, they're, they're great and uh, they'll put Fantastic. you in the right direction. I, I, that's great. Uh, I would like to take the opportunity to also thank uh, all our supporters, and I hope we presented some valuable insights in the career opportunities available in the drilling industry. Please share the episode with others so that they can learn more about some important takeaways from it. And don't forget to hit subscribe so that you don't miss out on the next show when it drops. 
I would appreciate some love on social media. So please leave us with some uh, feedback. You can find us at Only Women Entrepreneurs. If you're thinking about entering an alternative career or starting a business in manufacturing or construction and need some help, just reach out to me on my website, onlywomenentrepreneurs.com for a free consultation. I would be more than happy to provide you with some guidance. Thank you, everyone. And I look forward to our next episode.